Hey everyone. So there are many stops on this way back. There are many um, arrivals, right? Where there's sort of, it's like a Russian doll. There are more and more openings as you travel your path back to your heart and back to so the reconnection with your soul and with who you are and the divinity and all the stuff that that makes you this incredible living, breathing thing. I don't even know how to describe it. And as you begin to dissolve and extricate yourself and remove all the the debris and you know you scrub down all the attachments and all the fear and all the stuff that comes with trauma and if it's monumental trauma then you know it's a lot there are a lot of passages way on the way back a lot of stops as you begin to, it's almost like coming out of this deep dense fog and you know the the this, the closer you are the clearer you know the clearer your situation becomes and on my way back you know one of the most powerful things i've seen is just how um, deeply embedded I was in all this horror and how abused and used and manipulated and basically, you know, um, fuel, you know, to make them into being someone. So, so we, everybody has a theme, you know, whatever the impact of trauma is on you, the people that impacted and traumatized you had their own agenda, had their own motivations, known or unknown, conscious or unconscious. But if you're traumatized, there were very powerful motivations that overwhelmed everything and anything that came in its path. And in my own situation, it was people desperate to become somebody. And that meant being somebody obviously meant economic power, status. And what they projected on me was both their devastating insecurity about being brown and being an immigrant and not speaking English and being, you know, inverted commas, Indian. That was the worst, you know, thing you could call somebody was Indian. It meant lower class, it meant not white, it meant... So they projected that kind of revolt at themselves, their own self-hatred. And it projected on me and then demanded that I shift and change and transform that. So if your caretaker or 
the person traumatized, you said, you know, projected their own self-hatred um, on you, or you can be basically marinated in that and then end up self-hating and not, you know, sort of be reflected by, you know, by seeing yourself in this beautiful way. But then on top of that, I then had to fix that. I had to fix their own self-loathing and become something that would save them from their own diminished position in the world, which is already basically drowning. It's like you don't even get to come up for air. There's no air. There's just like, it's literally like a dump truck. Just you, you, you surface for a second and the whole, you know, the guy goes unload and then boom, you're, you're just sitting inside a heap of shit. And it was dark and confusing and terrifying. And I was on a quest to save them. It became my kind of mantra. I didn't speak it, but it was just, it fueled every action. It was, but there was no, absolutely no love. There was no, and for me, there was always a conflict. Like, I knew something was missing and terribly wrong. And I couldn't find it anywhere. There was no, I had to make it up, you know. You can't make up love. <laughs> can't make it up. I was fortunate to have a t very powerful taste of it when I was younger. So I knew that it existed, not with them, with someone who I knew. So, and I was 10 or 11. So I knew it existed. I knew I had a taste of it, but it didn't live anywhere near me. Um, I lived in this relentless sand pit of we're all going to die because we're all brown and wrong and immigrants and, you know, we're nothing and you better hurry up and, you know, change that for us. And their life was purely material. It was what you had is all you were. Like, you know, if you, well, you know, your, your identity was all material, you know, it was about money and about cars, and, you know, the whole material which it's not, I, I don't, I'm no shade on the material, but you know, a child cannot be, you know, you can't feed ca plastic Coca-Cola bottles to a donkey, you know, you can't nurture a child with paychecks, you know what I mean? It's not how it works. You can't nurture life, you know, um, by feeding it Armani, you know, it's just not how it works. But that's how they saw salvation. They saw salvation not with love, not with nurturing and caring and, you know, living in the wonder of divinity and love and, no, it was just pure black. It was pure, you know, we're in a race to smother ourselves with the material so that we get to have a vague outline in this world, in this reality. And, of course, material requires an audience. So, you know, they're in constant competition, and thus we are, 
with the other, right? And that was their threat, the constant threat of someone's better and they have more and we're not there yet. And that's all it was. It was nothing, even to this day, you know, when I speak to my mother, it's just about how she looks, you know, why, if this person is elegant or not elegant. It's an obsession with outline. And it's absolutely and utterly vacant of any caring or love or anything. And there's just nothing there other than, you know, do I look the part? I mean, she could be 110, it would still be, am I there yet? So, if you are, and that's my particular trauma in my particular vats, you know, whatever your barrel is that you were thrown in, if there is trauma, it will have an underlying theme and motivation that's coming from the people to whom you are born. And if it's an open wound or an open sore, as it was in their case, it was, and particularly with my father, it was, it was, he was a kind of the, the, the ultimate um, protagonist of all of this narrative. And then my mother, you know, joined in and her own family were involved in this relentless competition of who wins materially. Does that come from no love? I don't know. You know, if you can't have love, then what do you have? Well, I have an outline that defines an identity that somehow gets me in the game. And that, like the hungry Buddha, is an, is an empty vessel. And you're just feeding a stomach that can't eat any of it and can't digest it, but you just got to keep filling up. Right? It's just the hungry ghost. It's relentlessly hungry. And it will never arrive at its destination. And it will never win because in the game of identities, there's always something else and someone better. There's always someone younger. There's always someone richer. There's someone who always has the edge. So you will always be in a relentless competition to nowhere because you will never win, ever. So whatever the theme was of your particular trauma, however entangled you were in their motivations and their unfinished poison, and however much you were swept up in it, you were a canvas that was splattered with their dysfunction. That's what needs to be sort of disentangled and cleaned up if you want to survive and heal yourself of the trauma you have to heal yourself of them that's what has you know you've been annexed into their trauma you've been used inside their own unfinished business if you've been pulled into this kind of spin dry cycle of their own crap and trauma, then you're built there. And who you are 
is just drowned, you know, removed. I don't know. In my case, I just see myself as being drowned. And then being used in an effort to quell their own insecurity. You know, you become, you know, I became the, um, the cheerleader, you know, the cheerleader, savior, you know, the one that was always trying to reimagine their life so that they could survive and, you know, not kind of sink into quicksand, which is what they were at every moment. They were sinking into quicksand <clears throat> because they never, their trauma was on fire, always. They never dealt with it. So we're swept up in, if you are traumatized, um, the trauma has, you've either been swept into somebody else's trauma and therefore imprisoned yourself and, you know, never had a chance to play this game um, because you're chasing your tail. You know, if you've been traumatized and you're, in, you know, you haven't arrived and there's no one there to nurture you, no one there to reflect to you, so you're chasing your tail. And, you know, as you go along this journey back, you will stop at different places, you know, to unload the burden that you're carrying because you're carrying a burden and it's not yours. You're carrying a burden from someone else. And it's like you're carrying, it's like you're going up this, like the Himalayas, you know, and, and you've got no Sherpas and you're carrying tons of camping gear and the oxygen levels are very low. And, but you just, you don't know why, you just need to keep going. There's a wonderful story which really awakened me, which was this, it was a silly, silly story, but it was fantastic. It was, um, there was a, a yacht race around the world and um, Everybody had set off, and there was this, and they all gave their coordinates, you know, wherever they were. And this one guy had actually stopped in the middle of the Pacific, and he kept, you know, ra you know, calling in his coordinates, which were completely false. I mean, he was just stuck in the middle of the ocean. He just, he just couldn't go on. He just decided it was over. And, but he just kept getting giving them false coordinates, and so. Eventually jumped overboard and whatever, and they found that the boat had never actually, you know, had just stopped. And that's a bit like not him jumping overboard, but that sudden stopping is a bit like, you know, beginning to wake up to something that's wrong. Like you're, you know, all gung-ho, I was all gung-ho, and off I go, and completely fueled by trauma and completely fueled by their trauma and living inside that trauma. And you're just off, you're just off to the races. And then suddenly the universe, uh, you wake up, there's something like that's not right, you know, it's like, you keep, there's something that's just, you know is wrong. Things aren't going the right, you're always making the same mistakes, it's like, not me, but you know, always getting into self-destructive places or whatever. 
he couldn't, the, the sailor, stop because he, he just couldn't go on. He knew something was wrong. And he didn't have the courage to just say, I'm done, I can't do this shit anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose, I'm just going to be done. And that's one of the things that you have to give up is your ego because your ego in trauma is fueled by the trauma. It lives, it, it breathes from everything it's known. It's been built in that furnace. It can't live without all the characters that created it, even though it's all wrong. And it, and in my instance, you know, I just reimagined and rebranded just so that my ego could keep going and they could still be my parents, you know. So it'll do anything to continue to legitimize them and therefore keep you hostage and, you know, captive of their trauma and your own. And, you know, who, who knows what, you know, might happen in that situation. So it does not want to tell you the truth. It has no truth. It just knows that. It just knows what it was built in. So, you know, kudos to anyone that's on this path because um, you have to what you're doing is really um, removing the whole the whole thing. I mean, if you've been marinated in a barrel of somebody else's trauma or their poison, you don't even know what was there before. I think that's a great Zen koan, like, what was my face before my mother and father was born? You don't even know. You, you, once you've, if you've lived it and it's like, you know, you've been in this factory, you've been on the factory floor on the conveyor belt, like, after a while, you know, you know when to punch that bag with that particular, you know, piece of leather. You've been doing it for so long, it's like just second nature. You, you become, you know, that. You become the fixer. You become a very um, important cog in the wheel. You, you know, if you're playing in a, in a family narrative and a dynamic and you have a role, you've been playing it for a long time. So it's second nature. You breathe it. You are it. And if you don't play that role, everybody's like, you know, figured out the role that they play in a family from early on. There's a kind of dynamic that's set up with everybody. And to, to leave that role, to get out of that role, is, it's almost, it's near to impossible, I would say, right? Had I, but the universe was exceptionally kind and considerate and took me out the hard way um, because I was 100% in and 100% refused and denied and 100% you know carrying their trauma up this mountainside where I could hardly breathe and I had the burden of them and the refusal of myself to get the, to the top of a mountaintop that was endless. There was no mountaintop. 
There was no getting to the end of anything. It was a complete and utter illusion. I was simply captive of, you know, their own demons. And I had willingly, when I say willingly, I mean, not, you don't have much choice when you're three or four, but I, I was completely wrapped up in their demons and, and in their, and his, his in particular, he was a protagonist of this whole drama. And even though I was compelled by terror and fear and abuse, um, I had also managed to convert that into some kind of, you know, religious mission. You know, that suffering was just part of it all. But that, you know, I had to save him. So, if you have given in to their trauma and to all their shit, and you've been traumatized yourself by their trauma, there's one person that you've abandoned, and that's yourself. There's an utter and total abandonment. And it's not the self that's eager. It's not the self that's, you know, plowing and, you know, sort of like heaving up that fucking mountain. No. That's the ego that's heaving up the mountain. It's the person you've built to survive them. You've become them. You've taken on all their poison. You're in their energetic shit show. You're fully in. So that's the, that, that's kind of the illusion. No, no, I'm talking about the you that never arrived. Right? I'm talking about the you that was there before the trauma that was just pulsating with life and just needed a bit of love to grow. And as you, as you walk, as you encounter the different layers that you've put on to deal with all the horror and you remove them, it's like, you know, you've been layered up with a thousand different outfits and you've got to remove each one. Um, you know, once you've gotten past the rebellion and the rage and the seeing and the 10,000 spirits, there is this love, you know, for yourself. It begins, that's what, what was canceled out, what's refused is love, you know. If you're tripped up in somebody else's trauma as a child and you're used as fuel and devoured by their trauma and therefore become an agent of their poison and by so doing are refused your entrance to this life and you're left unloved and abandoned and disconnected, then first of all you pledge allegiance to them in this altered, disfigured, captive, poison state, which is in living inside their trauma. So you're traumatized by their trauma, right? 
and you become, you know, a card-carrying member of their trauma, and there's this whole agreement to it. There's this whole allegiance to it. And like them who have refused you, you also refuse you. You refuse love to yourself as they refuse love to you. And so to so there are many steps, one of which, and how the steps go basically is you need to get out of their trauma. You need to, and that's very difficult because that's where the child is stuck because the child is looking to have parents, right? The child is frozen inside them and terrorized around them and owned by them. So, um, first you have to even get to your child. I mean, I was barricades and walls away, even from my little girl, because I was so overwhelmed and poisoned and convinced and cooked in their, their agenda that I even, I had no access. I had to be an adult when I was two or three. You know, there was no childhood. And, you know, childhood was wrong and children were wrong and children were a nuisance. So forget even anything. I just, I, I didn't even know I was separated from her. I was so in the sack and so in the Kool-Aid with their, you know, all their horrific parenting, which I had to make legitimate. So I didn't even know there was a child in me. I had no idea there was a terrified, abused child. So that was just, first of all, just removing the energetic um, cover was a huge thing. Then I had to, and that took a few years, and then I had to go find the child who was completely lost in the universe, like I had completely cut off from her. As they had unloved me as a child, so I unloved myself. That's pretty horrific. And taken on all the characteristics of their poison. And having to march and to become someone and all their self-hate. It's just got just you just get splattered with whatever it is their agenda is, right? And so then I had to go. I didn't even know I was severed, so then the next time I went down to Peru, it was like, okay, this is what happened. I completely did not know, and I realized I've got to convince my child to tell me what happened, right? And, and so since then, which has been two and a half years, there's just been this constant, relentless removal of, of them. So it's basically, it's, it's like one ideology versus no ideology, right? So if I come into the world and I'm smothered with an ideology, right? So you don't even show up because the ideology is bigger than your little innocent divine self, right? It's a belief, it's a survival system. So if I come, if I come in, if you come in and, you know, I tell you um, piglets are yellow, Piglets are yellow, piglets are yellow, let's just say, right? 
and you don't even get a chance to like you know come into the world and be loved and blossom you just piglets are yellow right you get marinated in that and then you're saying piglets are yellow and you're refusing your desires and your needs and your childhood and love and you just refuse everything that you divinely carry within you and even though that life force doesn't stop wanting to be the life force you constantly refuse a life force because you yourself now have you know become the piglets are yellow the piglets are yellow so even though your life force comes up and says I need to be loved and it just goes no piglets are yellow and so eventually because you need to survive you agree and you yourself refuse the life force that's talking to you inside that's wanting to be accepted and seen and opened and the script wants to be read but every time it comes up you've inherited them inhaled them you've inhaled that idea so you're saying no piglet you say oh well, no piglets are yellow so now you've set up this huge contradiction and conflict between your own life force which is always simmering there no matter how big the truckload of poison and this thing that's saying this poison that's saying piglets are yellow and you become enmeshed with that thing and you become and you're you know you're drowned out basically and really it's this whole journey has been the complete reversal of that so the life force becomes you know the life force pushes through the truth of who you are pushes through all your beliefs and all your attachments and all the whole life that you've led in relationship to piglets are yellow the whole armor you've built not only you know to survive but also that armor dampens you the armor isn't just built to survive the horror the armor is also built so that you won't show up that's how egos work I'm an armor, I look good, I'm the part, I'm pretending to do all the things I'm supposed to do. I'm like this kind of puppet. So I'm a puppet which is armor, but at the same time the armor is refusing all of my truth and my life force. It plays a double role. And, you know, so the, the, the journey through this is the softening constant softening of who you are because if you're in trauma you're armored up you're tense there's always a threat if you're always under threat you're always tensed up you're never really safe enough to relax because there's no love so there's always a threat and you knew with you know with me it was like there needs to be always success you need to look right, you need to smell right, you need to do right, you need to be successful, you need to, you need to sort of live. You have to be bright, so to speak, on all these different levels, but don't show up. That's too messy, that's a nuisance. You know, every time that happens, we don't like that. That's not going to work for us. So what do you do? You also, you become your own refuser. You become your own prison keeper 
you know, your own superintendent. No, you can't show up like that. You need to show up like this. You literally build inside of you your own dungeon keeper in case you decide to show up. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not right. That's not going to work. So, you know, there are many kind of awakenings along the path, like mini dynamites, right? Mini little minefields of blow up. And it's a, it's a big task to shatter the whole thing. It's not because you're so emotionally rigged up to accept horror. You don't, I don't know a world without that horror. I've never known a world without all that horror. That horror was just life. And one of the great places of kind of recovery or return is is to look at a child and to smile and to feel the love for that child, right? To feel kindness and sweetness for that child. To know that child. Because once you know that child, you've known you. And in that seeing, there's just love, right? Because there's love for your own child. There's love for all the things that you got forfeited, you know? That they said was wrong. You know, loving a child is wrong. Allowing a child to be a child, to be sweet, and to, the softness and vulnerability of it. To, to create a protective and loving space for that child. That's where the wins are. You know, the win is in the feeling again. In seeing the child in its truth as this little vulnerable thing that needs to be protected and loved and the sweetness of it. You know, to feel that for the first time is the win because it's the acceptance and loving of you. And the more you feel that and the more you can live in that place of love. And I've been very lucky because I felt that so powerfully in the mini ceremonies, you know, in this just incredible love for children and just the sweetness in the, just the sweetness of a little child, the sweetness, the vulnerability, the wanting to protect them. Um, and just the kind of the symphony of of love that I receive from guides and from the ayahuasca and from the shipibo in these many ceremonies, that's what there are, that's where they're healing me, right? Because I had to accept early on that love was not an option. There was, you know, being a child was not where it was gonna happen. You know, being a child was wrong, right? You were just being used. You know, there was no space for childhood. There was no space for innocence because the momentum of their poison and their unfinished trauma, and it was, they were, it was evil. It wasn't like just a trauma. It was 
dark beyond despair. And you just rolled it right into it, like, you know, um, like a bulldozer. Like you were just flattened by their trauma. And if you've had, if you've been traumatized by people who are themselves, um, you know, traumatized and poisoned, you get rolled in. You know, it's like a, a recipe. You're just another ingredient in the, you know, you know, disgusting stew that they're making, right? You don't get a chance to show up. And so, and you're embedded there. You know, I, I keep, I think it's very, um, that's why, you know, I had to go to ayahuasca. I was deeply embedded. I, I couldn't get out by myself. There was no way. Um, I was deeply, deeply encoded in their darkness. And I didn't even know it. I just thought, this is it. This is a great life. And I was like living in the desert with no water. There was nothing but wilderness, like dark, desperate wilderness. And the win is not the house in Malibu. The, the win is love. The win is that I can reintegrate my child with love and really feel it and be br I was broken open by this medicine I mean I was just a huge you know submarine of armor you know I knew it all I had it all under control you know I was just a big cover-up a big um, delusional cover-up hard as nails and you know my heart was very hidden I was very armored up and this great medicine has taken me on this incredible journey to extricate me from a very dark place where you know I was living inside the energetic field of demons you know and and they're unfinished business. I mean, I think about the protagonist in this narrative, which is my father, and my mother became part of his disciples. Very dark, very creepy, and unspoken, and silent, and hidden, and it was just awful. And I was carrying his secrets, and it was just horrific. And I had to legitimize all of this. Right? in the end, and become someone, and it was all material for, you know, an audience. And once you begin to emerge, and I think emerging is being loved, right? For me, it was through plant medicines, and, um, you know, through the ayahuasca, and through the incredible love of the Shipibo, who are the doctors, the medicine doctors who administer it, and my guardians in Ceremony, this the healing has been their love, this, this love, I can't describe it, where I've been returned safely to my child. I've been returned to a field of love. I don't know how else to describe it. I'm no longer scared. I'm not scared of love. 
you know, I was always told, yeah, that's weak, you know, you're weak, you know, to have emotions, you're weak. It was, you know, when you're held hostage by someone else's darkness, you know, you're going to give yourself up to them. You're going to betray yourself for them. This is how it works. You're little, you have to survive. It's a huge betrayal of yourself. It's a huge abandonment of yourself in the name of them, in the name of their poison. So, you know, I mean, even in ceremony, I just, I had to beg my little child to give them up. She did not want to give them up. Children do not want to betray their parents, even in the worst situations. So, as you go along this kind of path back home, what you're removing is them. What you're removing is their costume. You know, their layers. What you built, what you built in their furnace. And that it's, there's a disrobing and there's an accessing to your soul and to your heart again. And the safety of being able to love again yourself which is really the main thing. And knowing what love is. I never knew what love was. I mean, I did for a moment, a few seconds, right, in this span of my life, when I was very young. And that kept me really going. That was like, it's like having a, you know, half a cup of water, just to have a little sip now and again to just keep going. But what you're removing is them. It's their trauma, not yours. It's their unfinished, but you just give it back to them. Go, all right, take it back, I don't want any of it. And once you release your child, you can give it back to them because the child is now with you and not under the auspices of them. That's why it is a search and rescue mission. You're taking, you're going back to release your child from the captivity of their trauma but your child has been traumatized by them. And, you know, part of the journey is lots of rage and hatred and all the stuff that comes up with the acknowledgement of what was done to you, but also part of the journey and, and is, you know, that eventually releases and you can love. You know you can love your child. You can relive that whole swath of continent which is childhood. And that's the healing of the Shipibo and of the ayahuasca is in real time you can be loved by uh, you know entities and guardians and you know I don't know it's just in another dimension where love is available to you again. And it's a sort of reparenting. I don't know how to describe it. It's a reparenting in another dimension that affects this dimension. Because once you've tasted that love, that self-love, that love by really loving people and entities which become like your parents, I don't know how else to describe it. You know, you can finally begin to heal because that's 
where you were hurt and traumatized. It's no love. And no love, and by the way, I'm going to vomit my whole trauma onto you, and I'm going to make you carry it up that mountain where you can barely breathe to a mountaintop that you will never reach because they too were unloved. And you can't fix anyone. No matter, as a child, no matter how many miles you walked up that mountain, there was no end to the mountain because it is, first of all, it's not anyone's responsibility but anyone to fix anyone. I'm, you know, no, you're not here, I'm not here, no one is here to fix anyone. As a parent, you're here to love your children and to be supportive and, you know, and to allow for the universe to blossom through you, which is loving them. But no matter what I did for them to make them happy, it was not my responsibility, nor was I able to do that. Right? You can't fix anyone. You can't live somebody else's life. But if you're forced to, then, you know, that's what you end up doing. And again, it's not only you can't do it because you can never save anyone, but also in that effort you're going to cancel your own life out, which is also unbelievably unfair and unloving a gesture. So, you know, again, there are many places that you stop on this path, but one of them for me has been this place of love, of indisputable, relentless, deeply moving love. They had to remove a huge armor from me. It took a First of all, I didn't even know. Then they had to get me to the child. First of all, I had to be thrown off a cliff to realize there was even something wrong. Then there was an, you know, an exorcism to remove a huge energetic contract that I'd you know, written with my father. Then there was this I've, you've got to get, you know, where's your child? And, like, and she's holding the secrets of this horrific abuse. And then all the attachments to that abuse and the guilt and the whole thing and the anger. And now there's a place of love, right? It's like, oh, oh, there's love here, right? There's love. That's what is a great... That's, that's, that's such a wonderful, I've never known it. It's incredible. There's this love. It's beautiful. It's so, I just can't tell you how filling it is. And it's happening, I'm feeling it, but it's being given to me by guides and the Shipibo and the ayahuasca. And it's incredible. And I don't ever have to go back there to this other landscape. I'm being pulled out and extricated from this dump truck of shit, of kind of worms and demons and darkness that belonged to them. It was never mine. And what happens next, again, I don't know, but to it's literally you're being pulled out of the dark and the light is love. 
and it's self-love and it's it's divine love it's this love that's just um, and that love allows you to return it's safe to come home it's safe to be who you are you know you, you can't be in conflict when you're in love you're home you're only in conflict when there's no love when you're wrong when you're in, you know when you you're held captive by somebody else's darkness so there are many stages to the releasing and to the liberation and you won't know how they show up and they will show up you know not when you expect them and you know your story will try to take over even the ceremonies you know your story or ego um, but again if there's faith in something bigger there's the acceptance of the discomfort of the journey surrender the unexpected you know whatever happens with the ayahuasca which will not be in this realm again it's all your surrendering and softening and uh, you know removing the tension of fear and you have to accept each place that you arrive to it's just what it needs to be and it, you might not understand it but you just have to have faith that it's working to bring you home all right bye <laughs>